0: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
1: Hello, I'm Peter King. Welcome to the MMQB Podcast with Peter King, where I take you inside the minds of the biggest influencers in the NFL. This week... Conversations with Chris Sims, a former quarterback for John Gruden. You might have heard of Gruden this week. It looks like he's getting back into it. And Tom Silverstein of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel to catch us up on all things Green Bay Packers. So, before we get going in our conversations, I want to just talk about two things that uh, that happened this past weekend and are going to be interesting going forward. I think the one thing that made me so happy on Sunday night is the Buffalo Bills making the playoffs. And it's because, I always say this, there's three teams that I really want to see do well because they have not had great runs at all. They've had the exact opposite of great runs in basically the last generation. It's Cleveland, it's Buffalo, it's Detroit. They're all Rust Belt cities. I pull for cities in the North. I'm from the North. I went to school in Ohio. I'm very familiar with Western New York. I'm very familiar with the state of Ohio and very familiar with the state of Michigan. And I know how much those teams mean to those places. And one of the greatest things about Buffalo making the playoffs was the fact that uh, before the Bills left Miami, they had, they had clinched the playoff spot. They were on the bus to the plane on the way to go home to Buffalo. This is New Year's Eve, maybe, I don't know, 8 or 9 o'clock at night. They're on the bus, and I had reached out to Richie Incognito, the guard of the Bills who I've known. And uh, he called back, and he starts talking about how grateful he is to the city of Buffalo and how happy he is to the city of Buffalo coming out in rain, sleet, snow, sunshine, whatever, and and never giving up after 17 straight years of not making the playoffs. And he just said, I'm just, you know, really what I'm happiest for are the people who have lived and died with us and mostly died and he, he, I, I just think there's this relationship between the team and the city and the people who live in this city. This team is so important, and so I was just so happy for the Buffalo Bills. Secondly, you know, a lot of times we look at the NFL as this huge monolithic thing and this monster thing, and that everybody, uh, everybody just looks at it and says. You know, uh, the NFL just goes on and it's always going to be great, everything. And I I looked at the game the other day and, you know, the last hour or so from, you know, 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock Eastern time with all the exciting endings, and then you look at the playoff structure and you see there's eight new teams in the playoffs. And I just thought to myself, you know, it's it, it, we've we've gotten used to this being a New England league, and everybody thinks it's New England, New England, New England. And you know what? The Patriots are probably going to be favored to win another Super Bowl, and maybe they should be. Uh, but I think the Rams are going to have something to say about that. The Vikings are. The Eagles might, uh, and the Pittsburgh Steelers might. But but I, I, I'm just there's so much new blood. And there's so much fun, new blood. There's a 31-year-old coach who's going to win coach of the year. It's incredible. This guy's Sean McVay, is nine years younger than Tom Brady. And there's just a lot of new things going on in the NFL. I just think it's a, a fun time. And the NFL has its issues. We all know what the issues are. And there's major issues going forward. And I don't know if the NFL is going to be able to solve The major issues going forward. But, and it's a very big but, what I really think about the NFL going forward is that this is about the best thing that could have happened to the league. Eight new teams, including the Circle Your Wagon Buffalo Friggin Bills, are in the playoffs. And now my conversation with Chris Sims. Back on the MMQB podcast with Peter King, a, uh, a repeat guest. Chris Sims was on our podcast uh, just about a year ago at the end of the season. Um, Wait, I need a new year to get the invite back. Yes, you do. You have <laughs> Listen, 52 weeks have to pass <laughs> okay. between any guests. All right. <laughs> but anyway, Chris, uh, as many of you know, lead NFL analyst for Bleacher Report, um, also is an NBC sports football analyst. And, uh, basically I always like to talk to Chris because I always learn multiple things. So anyway, Chris, appreciate Thanks, you coming. Thanks for having me. Okay. So, um, I want to go back in time a little bit. Um, you know, the news this week obviously is that it looks very much like John Gruden is going to come back right. and coach the Oakland Raiders. And for those, uh, who may not know in the year 2003, uh, you were coming out in the NFL draft, right? And uh, you got a phone call uh, from Tampa midway through or late in the third round, right? And it was John Gruden saying saying he was going to pick you. Yeah, I think that's how it happened. It is. Yep. But so you go to Tampa and you have quite an interesting experience, both on the field with Gruden, with your health almost dying, right? right. But anyway, they were some pretty unforgettable years, but. I guess I would I would just start and, and ask you, look, I, I'm assuming that he's going to Oakland. Me too. And it makes a lot of sense. And I think that as we look at it right now, my biggest question is, what is Derek Carr in for right now, getting John Gruden as his coach?
2: He is in for a rude awakening. I mean, from this just the, the, the fact of the matter that he's going to have a guy that's just going to be looking over his shoulder, micromanaging him every step of the way, challenging him mentally and physically daily uh, at the chalkboard, whatever it may be. He's got to get used to not only John Gruden being his coach, but just a guy that's going to be in his life on a daily basis and be ready to match that passion that Gruden is famous for and that he truly does bring to the table on a daily basis
1: you had some interesting experiences with Gruden and yes. at the end it, you didn't part well with him. No, so no how do you look at this do you look at this as something that it's going to work, or do you think he's going to drive the Raiders crazy?
2: Okay, so I'm going to give just a little back yeah. know, a little backstory on my, you know, uh, first of all, it, yes, like you said, I was drafted by John Gruden. I believe I spent more time with him as a quarterback than any other quarterback he had in his career. I'm pretty sure of that. I haven't looked. So it was before. what five years? It was yeah, a, a little over five years, basically. Yeah. Right. So it was it was the 2008 season. I was there for training camp. They cut me. I went to Tennessee. Jeff Fisher gave me a year to get healthy. Gruden and I had a great relationship. I mean, we really did. We were, I mean, you know, two peas in a pod. He liked me, I think, just because he knew he could cuss me out. And I had thick skin. And, you know, my dad playing for Bill Parcells and me being from Jersey and waking up and seeing the New York Post and it saying, you know, Sims sucks or whatever. Uh, I was I was able to take some of the verbal abusing. Yeah. Uh, and I think he liked that. And he knew that I loved the, the sport and the position. Uh, but at the end, yeah, like you mentioned, I got hurt. It is a business. They owed me money. I don't think he wanted to pay me that money. Uh, he knew that I wasn't quite right, but he tried to kind of sell it as Chris is right. He's healthy. But it, so, ex-
1: so exp- Let's just really yeah. explain yeah, sure. what happened. You suffered an injury in 2006. Right. Lose my spleen. You ruptured your spleen right. on the field during the game. Right. You went to the hospital afterwards. It was a very hairy situation. Right. Nine you, pints of blood I lost. Yeah. You lost your spleen, yes. right? Yes. Right. Okay. So then what happened? I think that was what? October? Yeah, it was late September. Late
2: September right. 2006. Right. And what happens the rest of that year? The rest of that year, I actually fought and tried, was like, I'm going to try to come back this year. And I went to the doctor in December and was like, I feel pretty good. I think I might want to play the last week or two. And we weren't a very good team. And I can still remember the doctor writing on the board the record of the team, my injury, how many pints I lost of blood. You know, he was also the doctor that uh, he realized they brought, you know, somebody, they brought my wife in to say bye to me because I was very 50-50 uh, during my surgery. And um do you remember that? I, I remember them bringing her in to say goodbye. Yes, I do. They they brought her in because they were like, Chris, it's you're in bad shape. We're, we're not sure you're going to make this out for sure. We're going to have your wife come in and just say hi to you. And I was, you know, I was at that point so miserable you could have taken a machete and just opened me up. <laughs> I didn't care. I was miserable. I felt like I had an elephant sitting on my chest because I had all yeah. this blood trapped in my abdomen, uh, let alone the injury, which was painful. And uh, so the doctor, either way, just he put all these factors on the board and he goes, Don't come back and play. What do you? He goes, This is an important area of your body, your stomach. You're, you lost an organ. So I didn't come back and play. The next year I come back for OTAs. I'm okay at first, but I'm not the same criticisms that was before the injury. And I never really got remarkably better at going to training camp. And I'm coming in hopeful, but I know I'm not right. I mean, I'm up here in New Jersey throwing with my dad the week before training camp going like, look, dad, I mean, I don't understand it. I used to be able to throw the ball 80 yards and could throw it as hard as I want. And now I can't, you know, uh, I can't break a pane of glass. I can't throw a spiral. I couldn't do anything. And uh, I go there. I don't perform well in training camp. And, of course, yeah. I start to get the word that he's telling people that I'm healthy and I'm just not doing well, and that's where our rift came a little bit. And I fought back through the media uh, a little, and uh, the Blazers gave me a year to kind of get healthy and, and figure out what the issues were. And that's where the Gruden, you know, perceived bad blood. But we've made up, and you know, I, I understand it. it's a business. Yeah. He had a new quarterback in town in Jeff Garcia. He didn't need me anymore. He didn't want to spend five million dollars to pay me. All those things. Uh, He just never took the time to talk to me like man-to-man about it. That's what I think got me angry more than anything. But it's all gone. Nobody did I learn more football under than John Gruden. So as you look at this right now, so I
1: I have been talking to people this week about Gruden and about his return. And one of the things that two different people said to me is he really feels bad. About how it ended in Tampa. Right. Those last six years. Right. He could never get this team over the hump. Right. He could never get the offense to play great. Right. And that, I'm told, is eating away at him I'm and sure has it is.
2: eaten away at him. Right. You tell me. Tell me if you think that that's so. I do. I, I think you know. I don't think we had an offense ever better than 18th when we were there in Tampa. The years I was there, or the you know his years altogether. You uh, know, he took over a situation that was a defensive team, right? And then they had a trade. Around, they had a trade away. What two first round picks to get him? So that hurt the ability for the offense to get more talent right there alone. But. Uh, Yeah, he's the mad scientist. I never doubted that this day would not come. I knew he was going to be a head coach one day. As soon as the scenario was right and he felt like his off-the-field life was where he wanted it to be, he is a football coach. He wants to be locked in a room and watch film. He wants to draw plays and be the mad scientist. He wants to get up in front of the team and motivate. He wants to get up in front of the offense and teach, and then he wants to take it to the field. That's what he is at the end of the day. And he also, you know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this. He likes being the boss too. He liked calling the shots. I'm the head coach. This is my team, and we're gonna do it. So, uh, and I get that. That's what great coaches do. So uh, I'm not shocked at all. And this is. So you thought it one day that this you was One day this was coming. Definitely. Yeah. Yes. I just I knew. Did I know the offensive thing was eating away at him? Not to the degree you just explained it, but I know he was always frustrated by it. He shouldn't take the blame. I mean, I don't think so. We just we were kind of strapped with salary cap. We had a weird team of old and young dynamic, and he was kind of trying to piece it together year by year. He goes to Oakland, he's got Derek Carr, he's got Amari Cooper. And then the rest can be however he wants to build it. Because other than Khalil Mack, there's no staples on the defense he needs to be married to or anything like that.
1: Yeah, I kind of look at this as a good opportunity for him, but I'll just say this. Yeah. I think he needs his quarterback to be a little bit feistier than Derek Carr. (laughs) Agreed. Yes. Yeah,
2: Yeah, he's hard on the quarterbacks.
1: Right. And and I'll tell you this in my opinion. Derek Carr is one of the nicest guys I've ever met in football. Yes. He's tremendous, and he's a great team guy. Yep. But there are some times where you have to jump on guys. No doubt. And I think that's a little bit where Derek Carr is, where I think Gruden
2: is going to try to help him do that. Agreed. You can't quantify the stat of Tom Brady being a, A dick. I'm sorry for lack of a better phrase, right? (laughs) Yeah, for him holding the team accountable, the offense accountable every day at a practice. There's no stat that quantifies that. Mm. Trust me, they're all scared of Tom. They were all scared of Tom uh, Peyton Manning, you know, in Denver or Indianapolis, because you knew if you messed up. So there has to be that. That's when I heard Rich Gannon might be the quarterback coach. I thought, oh wow, he wants to get an edge. He's going to get John and Rich around him. They're going to change him in a hurry. But yeah, you, you need that. You know what's the old saying? Like, I, you know, Bill Parcells said to my dad once, "I don't need a cruise, a cruise ship, uh, a, a cr- cruise director, cruise director. I need yeah. a, you know, battleship commander." Yeah, and uh, that is that's playing quarterback in the NFL. You got to be a leader. You got to be not afraid to be unpopular in the locker room and say things that need to be said, even though guys might might not like you. So i I want to
1: know in your mind when you look at. The Oakland Raiders. When you watch them play, yeah. Do you think this is a team
2: that John Gruden will be good for? I do. I do think he'll be good for it. Uh, you know, one of the reasons, first of all, is I do think he's. You know, they're at a team where they can't be happy with anything on their roster, really. To just go, oh, we're we're good here. Look at our twenty fifth ranked defense. We're we're going to keep the pieces together. So. Uh, he'll get to put his, you know, footprint on the roster with whoever is the GM. But I think the big thing, and I always thought for Gruden, is he was going to come back to the place where he thought at least the quarterback was there. He didn't have to go through figuring out free agent quarterback or draft quarterback. Uh, Carr was underwhelming this year. I do think Gruden will be perfect for him and all the facets that you just mentioned, making him more of a man, more of a tough leader. Uh, And he'll stay on top of his mechanics, too. That was something that fell off with Derek Carr this year. But uh, I I just think as a guy to get an organization back on the right track, give them a common goal, give the front office a vision of this is what I'd like my team to look like, and then handle the Vegas situation and be the face of the franchise. He is he's perfect. He is kind of a Vegas guy, right? Isn't he? Right. I mean, I mean, he's. You know he's 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 half he's a Raider and he's a renegade. I mean it's I think it's funny he's been with you know two teams that have patches on their you know helmets over their one of their (laughs) eyes, right? I mean they need to come up with a logo and have him with a visor on and a patch it and be like our our leaders. You know what I always thought in the last few years,
1: I see him doing these commercials for Corona or for Hooters, Hooters, and I just said, I bet Gruden walks out of that and is miserable. Yeah, really because he. He doesn't want to do that. Okay, so somebody's handing him a million bucks. I'm just but but he's just thinking to himself. And it's why, in my opinion, I don't know what he's making doing the Monday night games, but I hear him on those games saying nice things about almost everybody he talks <laughs> right. about. And I said, John Gruden doesn't believe a lot of what he's saying. Yes, yes. You know, so that's why, in my opinion, I've kept waiting. And and again, I'm not saying he'll be any good, but I have thought that this day was going to come. Right. I w- I wasn't sure that. Like I don't think he's Nirvana. I and and I don't think he is the greatest coach ever. But I think it's a very
2: interesting and probably a very good addition for the Raiders. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. I, he's he's a he's a Super Bowl cal- caliber football coach. Right. Yeah. Like I, I know what you're saying. Yeah. He's not a slam dunk NFL legend, but he 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 understands the game and. He understands offense and defensive football too. That's where I think. I, yeah. Plus, I
1: think I think over the last few years, right? He's been bringing all these coaches down to Tampa, sure. and sharing ideas with them, sure, and just and quite honestly, doing what all coaches do from uh, all coaches since the beginning of time, stealing from other people, yes. And they're
2: stealing from him, no doubt. So it's a good little leech fest. Uh, yes, it's know? it's what it's what the good coaches do. I mean. Uh, You know, I, I know my buddy Kyle Shanahan out in San Francisco when he started out as the offensive coordinator of the Houston Texans. He used to turn on Tampa film. Go, let me see what Gruden did this week. Let me see what he did. Uh, and I'm sure John's doing the same with Kyle Shanahan now and Sean McVay. I just never doubted this would come. Uh, and I'm with you, too. I, I never heard him say so many nice things about so many people. Because <laughs> that certainly wasn't what he was saying behind closed doors. I think he also had to realize, I might want to coach again. I might need to get some coaches on my staff that actually like me. Yeah. So he was trying to help mend some of those relationships.
0: This is the MMQB Podcast.
1: Support for the MMQB Podcast with Peter King comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans they understand that home plays a big role in your life and family. That's why they created Rocket Mortgage. Now, Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. It's simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident while you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your 10th, with Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process giving you the confidence to make an informed decision. It's convenient. Our trusted partners allow you to share your financial information with Rocket Mortgage at the touch of a button. And, in addition to getting a real mortgage approval in minutes, you can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure you're getting the right solution for you. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply. Understand fully. Mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash king. That's rocketmortgage.com slash king. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030.
3: For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all handpicked from family farms, then blended to perfection and cold-pressed to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard, so is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois.
0: Do you want a beautiful lawn? Life is a highway and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches but there's only one McD crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour
1: One other thing so so if if you had If you had a Raiders player, because probably either at the Super Bowl or whatever, you'll run into a Raiders player or two or three. Yeah. And they're going
2: to say, come on, man, tell me, what's it really going to be like? What will you tell them? I'm going to tell them that it's going to be pretty awesome. Like I said, I'm not going to let my last year with John and how it went out, you know, as far as my injury and him dealing with me. I I don't let that affect the big picture of how I still look at John Gruden. John Gruden's passion for the sport is... Up there with anybody I've ever been around. He loves day-to-day work process. He loves communicating with players, uh, and you know he loves the teaching part of it. And I think that's what they're going to be really excited. They're going to realize, like in the first day or two, and just team meetings, they're going to go, "Man, this guy's crazy!" But he loves football. This is awesome. <laughs> and uh, and that's and he's of course they're going to have to hear that. Do you love it? Do you love football? Do you love this stuff? I mean, he's going to say that ten times a meeting. Yeah. Uh.
1: That's good. Hey, I appreciate you sharing all that because I think that's, I think it's a fait accompli. I think it's going to happen. So we'll see. Um, let's move on to a few other things that I wanted to ask you about. Sure. So, so I'm I'm like everybody else these days. I'm sort of looking at this coaching carousel, right? And there's not one guy out there that everybody says, "Man, that's the guy we have to have." Like. If David Shaw, the Stanford coach, were in the pool, right, he'd be that guy. Right. Everybody would want him. But he's not in the pool, and he may never be in the pool. But there's a bunch of guys who I think are fairly close. There's, there's Josh McDaniels and Matt Patricia, the two Patriots coordinators. Yep. There's Dave Tobe, if you want to go a different way, the special teams coach. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. They're, I mean, look, we could sit here and name a lot of guys.
2: Schwartz in Philadelphia. Schwartz That's in Philly. DeFilippo. Right. Yeah, Pat Shermer. Yeah.
1: Uh, and and I just wrote about this guy today as we record this Tuesday afternoon. I wrote about Mike Vrabel. Sure. Uh, because I've had four people since last Friday say, "Don't basically, don't forget about Vrabel. Uh, somebody should hire him in this process. And I said, wow. Team goes four and 12. He's got the the 32nd scoring defense in the NFL and his only year as coordinator, and right. he's going to get a job. I, I know. And I, I'm I'm reminded of one thing that Dan Rooney said to me, uh, the late Dan Rooney in 2007 after he hired Mike Tomlin. I right. said, is this a little soon for Mike Tomlin? Right. I mean, is it a little early? And he goes, hey, Peter, listen, by the time I go to hire a coach again, he's going to have been a, been a coach somewhere for a few years. Right. This is my shot. Right. And so is it a little early? Yeah, but I, it's okay. He'll grow into it. Yep. And he has. Yeah. So I I, I I I may have forgotten six guys who you like, but who are the one or two guys out there that you have a high regard for who you think, if if you were making a hire, that you'd strongly consider?
2: Yeah, I, I, I'm going to go with... First of all, just guys that I've been around, and I wouldn't say this if I didn't truly believe this, but the three main guys I've been around, right? I worked up in New England, uh, and I played for Josh McDaniels when he was the head coach of the Denver Broncos. So Josh, Matt Patricia, and I was with Jim Schwartz when I was uh, playing for the Tennessee Titans. He was a D coordinator down there. I'll start with the New England guys. Uh, Josh McDaniels is... He's one of the greatest football minds I've ever been around. He truly understands the whole organization, the scouting department, you know, pro personnel, whatever it may be, all those facets. Now, a lot of people out there are going to go, well, it didn't work out in Denver. What happened there? Well, it didn't work for Bill Belichick in Cleveland either. And there were some things going on uh, that the public doesn't know about with McDaniels um, that, that, we're going on behind the scenes that led to his demise. Regardless, I, I value him a lot, and I think he would be my first hire. Matt Patricia would be my second hire. Matt Patricia, really good defensive football coach, the hardest working guy in that Patriots organization for my money. Their defense every year, yeah, okay, some years they're not top in yards allowed, but they don't let you score points. They don't blow assignments other than the start of this year when they had Stephon Gilmore, you know. But as a whole, I'm talking, they're always well coached. They understand situational football. Of course, he's learned from Belichick. He understands all that type of stuff, and I put value into that. So those will be the top two guys to me. I think they are the best coaches out there. I think they understand organization totality the best. The thing I'll say about those two is, I don't think they go anywhere where somebody from New England isn't manning the ship already. So that leaves it to who? Basically, Tennessee and Detroit. Because one thing I always hear from the New England guys, either directly or indirectly, is they don't understand the New England way. And I know what they mean by the New England way. I mean, the New England way is, you know, can be gloomy and grinding and it's hard work. And the Patriot coaches take great pride in out-competing a coach on March 27th just as much as they do on September 27th. And I just wonder if any of those guys will do that. Uh, And then Jim Schwartz is the next guy for me, just again, because, yeah, he went up to Detroit. I don't think that was the most talented team in the world when he was there. They were kind of missing front office presence when he was the head coach. But I just think as a defensive-minded coach, a guy that's on the details week to week, can command a room, I think those are the three guys more than any that jump out to me.
1: Who's the, uh, is Sean McVay a total absolute outlier or is there a, there a young guy on either
2: side of the ball who uh, people are not talking about who you like? Okay, there uh, there's two. There's two I like. I don't know if they're ready yet, right? I mean, McVay, Shanahan, they got years of being offensive coordinator at least, right? That's why I would say like Vrabel's a head coach material. I'd like to see him be a coordinator for another year or two, but I understand the thought of him being the head coach. The two guys that jump out to me, I'll give you one on offense. Matt LaFleur, the quarterback coach out in the Rams with McVay. He worked under Kyle Shanahan in Washington. He's a guy that's certainly going to be on the rise and at some point going to be an offensive coordinator and be one of the better ones at that because of the people he's learned from, the guy he is. And then I, I know I sound like a home. See, most people think I hate New England, and what they don't really realize is I root for the Patriots like weekly. Uh, Brian Flores, uh, up there, a DB, linebacker coach. He's done it all up there. We call him B-Flow. He's a Brooklyn kid, uh, but he is another guy that I look at to be, he could end up taking that Mike Tomlin route, right, Peter, where he goes somewhere, maybe he goes to Arizona this year and becomes a D coordinator, but he's a guy that has the ultimate respect of the players. He's no nonsense. He's got a great eye for evaluating talent, and he's a great coach, and I think he's a guy that I would say maybe it doesn't happen this year. You're going to hear their names, but in a year or two, they're going to be in this mix.
1: What if Belichick loses both of his coordinators? What does he do?
2: He'll probably make that Brian Flores guy, the defensive coordinator, I would imagine. Yeah. And um, I'm blanking on the quarterback coach there. Yeah, but they'll keep it within in-house. Yeah. You know, that's the brilliance of them. They keep everything in the house. And then nobody ever knows really what the hell's going on in up and doing England. How are they doing this? What are they winning these games for? Is there any, any
1: way in your mind, any way that you think Belichick walks away after this year?
2: No. I think it's coming to that in the next two or three years, but uh, I I think he's still going to hang in there. He's still got a team that's going to be capable of winning the Super Bowl the next two or three years. Is there, in the last month of the
1: season, is it an outlier month for Tom Brady? Or should people who love Tom Brady say, he's looked pretty mortal the last four games of this season?
2: (sighs) Yeah. I, I, I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, he definitely has not played great. And and I don't even say that. I don't give a damn about stats. You know me well enough that I'm not just yep. sitting there going to go, oh, well, he's got the best quarterback rating. He's the best. No. Uh, the, the quality of some of the throws that he has made, whether they be at people's feet or short of the target or just missing, that has been a little concerning. But he has taken a beating this year. He did have the Achilles injury issue, so I do think some of that plays into it. And of course, he played some division rivals here down the end of the end of the season, who understand their team and their offense and some of the you know intricacies of their offense that they like to do, and they took that away from them. So uh, I'm not concerned. I think the week off is going to really help out Brady. I mean. What he was doing early in the year was absolutely amazing. I don't know if I can make him the MVP right now, but he's certainly in the conversation. And at the age of forty, I mean, come on, he's doing stuff that nobody's ever done. He's he's unreal.
1: If I think his... Would you give him the MVP? What, what? I gave him the MVP. You did. Yeah, I know. That's I, had, I had to vote today. Okay. I don't. I don't. You know, like I look at this year, Chris, and I don't think that, it's hard. That, I don't think there is in any way a runaway winner. But right. I look at Brady. I look at the night of the first game of the season. Sure. And I walked out of Foxborough that night, and I just said, man, I know the Patriots are good at rebounding. I know that it's not over, but holy crap. Yeah. They got a lot to do. Right. And that's one of the reasons why, if there was no Sean McVay and there was no Doug Marone, I mean, I guess you could say that every year, there's always a couple of guys who do a great job. This is one of Belichick's best coaching jobs. Agreed. By far. Agreed. And I think similarly with with uh, Brady, not only is he getting beat up a lot, but he's minus Edelman. Yeah. And he's basically learning guys like Dorsett and Cooks and all these new guys on the fly. And so I just, I would say this, in a year that he still has, he's got like the third best rating, he's got a plus 26 touchdown to interception right. rate, whatever. I mean... He's really had a good year. He's amazing, and and you know I want to fall in love with Todd Gurley in this race, but I mean, look at his middle eight games of the season. They yeah. were they were good to very good, but I mean, he had four touchdowns in eight games. I and get I'm you. not I'm not criticizing Todd Gurley, but I'm saying, you know, I just like Amy Trask had a great line. Sean McVay's their most valuable player. Sure, you know, but but anyway, be that as it may. I could see a
2: lot of different arguments for MVP yeah, this it's, year. It's the hardest know. year I can ever remember. Yeah, it really. Yeah. I mean, it, it really is. Uh, you know, yeah, I probably would have voted for Carson Wentz, but I would have had to yeah. think about it hard and long. I mean, because, yeah, I, I'll say this at the very. I'll tell you another guy that deserves to be in the conversation. Gronkowski deserves to be yeah, in that conversation yeah, as well. Yeah, but with Brady. And I've said this before. People think I don't like Tom Brady because I still think he's guilty of Deflategate, and you know what? I still do. So sorry, get over yeah. it. But that doesn't mean I don't think he's not awesome. I have like two autographs in my house. One of them's Tom Brady. Yeah. I like Tom Brady the person, Tom Brady the Who's player. Who's your other one? Uh, I got a Peyton Manning. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they're they're. Uh, it, I've said this a few, Brady is better now and last year than he was in 2012 and 2013. When I was working there in 2012, he was the worst downfield thrower of the football in the NFL. That's all we talked about in New England. Can we get Tom to throw the ball down the field? That's all Bill would say to him during... Uh, spring practice. And slowly but surely he got better and better. The offense got better. And I would say about mid-2014 he kind of tweaked his mechanics and he's more dangerous now to me as a quarterback than he was And when they were losing the Giants in 2011 or losing the AFC Championship to the Ravens in 2012. That interception to Chase Blackburn wasn't it at the end
1: of that game in 2011? I think it was. Uh, He threw the ball short way downfield in that game. And I said to myself, that ball is
2: like five yards short. Yeah. That's a problem. Yeah. yeah. He got anyway. into a weird like real over the top, you know, you remember their yeah. offense too. It became Welker and Edelman right over the middle, five yards, five yards, and and he kind of he kind of changed his motion to fit that offense, but it took away their verticality of the offense. And he changed that. And we got to see back to like the two thousand four Tom Brady, the last few years, who just hits everybody downfield.
1: If you were Doug Peterson, would you would it enter your mind? to
2: play Nate Sudfeld in the playoffs. No. The backup to Nick Foles. No, it would not. If I am if I am Doug Peterson, what would enter my mind is to change your offense you got to change it. They need to become like the 1990 Giants. Post- they got to run, post- right? Get yeah. in the eye formation. Make the game up. Legarrett Blunt and Jay Ajayi are made to run downhill, not in the shotgun going horizontal trying to find a hole to go to vertical. They're big guys. They're not made for that. I would, if I was them, I'd be pounding the rock with those guys. They have a big physical offensive line, an occasional play-action pass, and play through your defense, which I still think is one of the best in football.
1: Who do you like to win everything? Do you have a strong feeling or not really?
2: It's hard for me to bet against New England. I yeah. just think, you know, here they are. I have a hard time thinking any of the teams can upset them in the divisional playoff round. It's going to come down to the Steelers. I think they'll find a way to beat the Steelers in a close football game. And then anytime there's more than a week to prepare, the pendulum swings in the favor of the New England Patriots because I'm going to give Belichick that, that edge and Brady the edge in the tough crucial moments, right? Like I always say, like New England would have been in the Super Bowl last year with Jimmy Garoppolo, but I don't know if they would have came back from 28 to 3 with Jimmy Garoppolo. That's right. where Brady's yeah. special. Yeah. Um so yeah, what'll I, be
1: really interesting? They haven't played the Vikings in a long time. Right. It'll be interesting to see. That would be a fun matchup because it would be too New teams kind of yes. going at each other. Yes. You know, I agree. I think that'd be a fun matchup. Plus Minnesota playing at home. That'd be fun. It would be amazing. Yeah. I'm not going to count the Rams out of that one. No, I agree with you.
2: The Rams could get it. Nor a the sh- Saints. No. The Saints right. could do it too. Annecy is very open. Uh, and the Rams have some difference maker type players, right? They have the an Aaron Donald who could get a, you know, a sack strip fumble and get a touchdown. They got a Todd Gurley who can break an 80-yard run. They are a team, at least I look at and go. They could maybe get in a shootout with New England in the Super Bowl and maybe beat them in a 38-35 game, even though it's probably unlikely. Chris Sims, thanks a
1: million for joining me. Really, really appreciate it. You
2: are the man. Thanks for having me. You're listening
1: to the MMQB Podcast. State Farm knows that for football fans, your car and your home are more than just stuff. They're some of your most valuable possessions. Whether it's the truck that gets you at every tailgate or the place where you watch your favorite team with your favorite people. But life can be a tough opponent. So when it comes to insuring your car or home, you need a strong defense, like State Farm. Because they know it's more than just a car or a house. So why not give it the protection it deserves? It's just one more way they're here to help life go right. Talk to a State Farm agent today. Now my conversation with Tom Silverstein of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Back on the MMQB podcast with Peter King, joined by Tom Silverstein of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Tom, you've covered the um, the Green Bay Packers since before Bart Starr was born, obviously. <laughs> so I, I, you know, immediately when I started hearing all this stuff on uh, on Monday about Ted Thompson, uh, I wanted to reach out and sort of get one of the best interpreters I could find about. Uh, the news that happened with the Green Bay Packers. And so give me your gut feeling. Did Ted Thompson resign or was he pushed?
3: Um, I think he was pushed. Um, Mark Murphy, the team president, pretty much acknowledged that, uh, you know, he, he approached Thompson about it. And I think while he liked to say that it was a mutual agreement between the two. I think it was clear that Murphy felt it was time to start the transition to a new general manager. And uh, the best idea I think that they came up with was that Thompson would sort of fade into the background and uh, tutor the new general manager, be there as a sounding board. But the new GM would have complete power over the uh, football operation. Do
1: you see Ted Thompson as a guy who, let's just, for example, preparing for the draft this year will be uh, the wise old owl sitting in the corner who will speak if called upon?
3: Yeah. Yeah. I I think he'll be careful not to overstep his bounds. Uh, I think he still has a lot to offer. He's still a very good judge of talent. I think the job, uh, was very demanding for him. He's 64 years old. And there's just so much to it now. It's And especially if you're a guy who wants to do scouting on your own. And that's always been the uh a mode of operation here since Ron Wolf was the GM. He would go out scouting. He wanted to see players for himself. Thompson has been doing that for 25-some years. And I think... It was time, you know, I think he was wearing down and I think it was, you could sort of see it with just the energy and also with the play of the football team this year. I think things were starting to slip a little bit.
1: As we sit here on uh, early Tuesday evening recording this, I wonder, uh, how do you think Ted Thompson is taking this He's obviously as close to a sphinx of a figure in the NFL as there is. I've always found him to be a pleasant fellow, but as, about as quiet as there is. Has anybody spoken to him? If so, what's his th- What
3: are his thoughts? Uh, he actually declined to talk to the media, and I think that will be the last anybody, any media person hears from Ted Thompson. now that it's no longer an obligation. I'm not sure he ever wants to talk to reporters again. That's just who he is. I mean, he's a very private person. I agree he's personable. He has, well, I I don't know about personable. He's a nice guy. He uh, has a really dry wit and can be kind of funny. Um, But he just doesn't, he's not a social butterfly. I think he's a guy who's, um, spent a lot of time in film rooms and by himself and he's not the kind of guy who's going to, you know, burst into a room and shake hands with everybody. He's pretty much a wallflower.
1: I'm going to ask you just so that I'm sure all the Packers fans who are listening know this story, but but I maintain this, Tom, that that Ted Thompson should be Appreciated and should be uh, thanked by every Packer fan around the world for two things. Uh, Number one, Aaron Rodgers. Number two, for not being even remotely, he's a guileless person. He doesn't, I don't believe that he has a vindictive bone in his body. I remember after the Packers won the Super Bowl, standing there in the locker room after the game in Dallas or Arlington wherever that stadium is and giving him every opportunity to say man Ted people were down on you for this they were down on you for that they thought you mishandled Favre they thought this and I ju- and and everything everything that I said to him every single thing he said hey i'm glad that the fans are passionate he was he was just nice he did not take any opportunity to sling any arrows back and I just thought that was I just think when I think of Ted Thompson, I think of a good person. So yeah. I, I I wanna ask you just your thoughts about him as a person and then if you don't mind, recount the story about drafting Aaron Rodgers that totally came out of left field.
3: Yeah, well, first of all, I think you know what you say is correct. I think football was his life you know he was a special teams player for the Houston Oilers and I think even then he was somewhat of an anonymous figure you know I think he he ran down on kickoffs and punts and kind of never sought the limelight he came to the Packers uh, actually as a recommendation from Mike Reinfeld who was the finance director at the time in 1991 and Ron Wolf brought him in and uh his interview was, you know, grade grade these guys. And one of the guys he had him look at was Brett Favre. Yeah. And he said, you know, grade this guy for me. And uh, you know, Ted gave him an okay <laughs> report and Wolf said, "Well, this is a guy I'm going to trade a first round pick for.
1: It's a guy I'm going to trade a first round pick for tomorrow." I think he said because I remember that story very well.
3: Yeah, exactly. And you know, from that point on, Ted just put his head down and learned the business. And he's been all business. Uh, That's that's what he does. He he just he's all football all the time. He goes to bed early and he wakes up early, and football is everything to him. I think, uh, you know, as, I think one thing he brought was stability and he never wavered under his philosophy of, um, building teams and, and, um, creating or, or maintaining what Ron Wolf had built in the scouting system. And that was really important. He, he, uh, had a lot of loyal followers uh, in the scouting department. And, you know, he grew up in the system with John Schneider and Reggie McKenzie and John Dorsey and Scott McLuhan, and they, uh, stayed true to him. And as Schneider and Dorsey and everybody moved on, you know, he, the next generation, Brian Gutekunst and Elliot Wolf, Ronald's son have stayed, you know, right at his hip through this whole thing. And I think that's because he treats people well and uh, they have a really good system for evaluating uh, talent.
1: Speaking with Tom Silverstein of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Tom, um, I, I, you know what? Before we get away from that, tell me the Aaron Rodgers draft story. 2005, oh, yeah. 2005, it looks like either Alex Smith or Aaron Rodgers, the two court, West Coast quarterbacks, those guys are going to go one, two, it looks like, or, or very high in this draft. And the 49ers picking number one take Alex Smith, and then the slide starts to happen. And there goes Aaron Rodgers, down and down and down. And so now tell me, no one, as that draft started, and I mean no one, thought that the team with three or four more years left of Brett Favre was taking a quarterback in the first round. What? happened
3: well and and let's also remember if you want to really throw a twist into it who was the offensive coordinator of the san francisco 49ers at the mike time mike mccarthy that alex smith <laughs> yes over aaron Rodgers, which aaron Rodgers has never let mike mccarthy forget <laughs> i mean never he he's an elephant when it comes to that kind of stuff uh you know really i i think with each uh pick, you know, I, I don't think early on they, they necessarily felt like Rodgers would drop to him. But, you know, every team has its own mock draft. And, you know, as they're looking, OK, who needs a quarterback? Well, they don't need a quarterback. They don't need a quarterback. And all of a sudden, you know, they're seeing the board go off. And, you know, as he's getting closer, the discussion starts because they had someone else pegged for that pick. And I I think, you know, the one thing it did really um, highlight was one, that he was flexible enough to take it. And number two, he had a conviction, you know, that this guy was really going to be a good player because he would not have taken him. You know, it was not a need. It was not a need pick. It was a shocking pick at the time, but he, he, he clearly saw something in Rogers and, uh, you know, turned out to be uh, a pick that defined his career.
1: If, if, if a Green Bay Packer fan sees you at Nikki's Lionhead in De Pere tonight, and uh, you're both having a spotted cow, and he turns to you and said, and by the way, unless you're from Wisconsin or know Wisconsin, those words mean absolutely nothing to you. But that's my favorite bar in the Green Bay area, and that's my favorite beer in Green Bay. But yeah, I want to have a spotted You've got to have a cow. But so if, if a guy turns to you and said, hey, Tom, is this a good thing for the organization? What would you say?
3: I would say yes. I would say I think both moves were a good. Uh, move for the organization. One um, for Ted Thompson to move into this role, and the other was to uh, fire down Capers. I think I think you know there's a certain amount of time when you can become stale. Uh, Packers have been you know this group has been together a long time, and even though you know you could say the same thing about McCarthy, I still think that it's a little tougher when you're talking about someone who's older and and you're um, starting to bring in younger people to work in the organization, in your scouting department, they're continually bringing in younger guys. And I I think there just needs to be, I think energy comes a lot from the general manager, uh, energy in the building. And then, you know, energy from the head coach goes to the team and, I I think it was just time and Thompson's philosophy of building only through the draft has become outmoded, you know, with the way the salary cap goes up every year. I I mean, it it was a good philosophy for the years, early years of his um, tenure because they were never in salary cap trouble. They always were able to resign their own free agents. They, Every year they had surplus cap room. But now there's so much cap room that, you know, you, you have to build uh, beyond the draft. And they've been, such, they've been hit by injuries so much over the years that they just run, run out of players. And this year was the worst example. And, and of course, they lost Aaron Rodgers, and it kind of exposed what kind of team they, they have behind him
1: finishing up with Tom Silverstein. So is there any chance that they could get John Schneider from the Seattle Seahawks, the Wisconsin native who has often waxed poetic about his time in Green Bay? Any chance that they could steal him from the Seahawks?
3: Well, I think there's always a chance, but it, it depends on Seattle on whether they would be willing to part ways with him. He does not at least he has said he does not have a clause in his contract that would allow him to go to green Bay. I believe he did in his first contract. Uh, The Packers could argue uh, and they'd have to take this to the commissioner and say, well, he doesn't really have full authority uh, over the 53 that, or not really over the 53, but over decision-making that Pete Carroll really has, uh, the decision making, and then it would be up to Goodell to decide whether uh, the Packers had a case or not. If he's going, you know, if he does, if they rule he did not have total control of football operation, then coming to Green Bay would be a step up, and he could make that move without. Uh, Seattle objecting, my or they, they would not be able to have an objection.
1: My gut feeling I, is, my gut feeling is, it's probably going to end up being Russ Ball. I don't know why. Yeah. Do you think that's right or no?
3: Absolutely. Mm. I mean, even the way Murphy was talking today, uh, it, it just all indications are. I think that's what Thompson is pushing. It, it's a risky move really risky They've because you're had... going to
1: denude your the top of your personnel staff uh, yeah you're right it is risky
3: exactly yeah. so brian Guterkunst, he's going to leave elliot wolf he's going to leave alonzo highsmith already has left he's taking going to cleveland with john dorsey so you know all of a sudden you got russ ball and who's never done i mean he he started to learn uh personnel but he's he's a cap guy and he was a strength coach And, you know, it breaks a string of 26 straight years that they've run the Wolf system, which is a proven system. Now, I'm talking as though Ball has the job. I know, I know what you're saying, yeah. You know, it it would be the first time, and I'm still checking on this, but I think it would be the first time in history the Packers didn't have a football guy as their general manager. And that's a risky proposition. There's only about a half dozen of those guys in the league now. You know, and so I don't know. This is Murphy's biggest decision. Uh, His his career rests on this.
1: Tom Silverstein, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Great information today.
3: You're welcome, Peter. Anytime.
1: Thank you. Thanks to my guests, Chris Sims and Tom Silverstein. If you enjoyed these conversations, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes in the MMQB series such as my conversations with Adam Schefter, Tom Brady, and Drew Brees. You can find these on the MMQB.com, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. You can also hear the MMQB Podcast with Peter King on Sirius XM Radio every Saturday morning at 7 Eastern on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 82. Thanks to the fine folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And thanks, of course, to my sponsors, Quicken Loans and State Farm. Please support them the way they support this podcast. And I'll see you
0: next week. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem.
2: Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus is central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.